Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is time for another episode of the Jack Wagon Sports Podcast. We have a ton to talk about, uh, but first up, if you're listening with Spotify or, or Apple or Google, anything, uh, it's going to be the exact same. But if you're watching over on our YouTube, we have fancy new layouts, uh, and this is something we're really excited about. Makes us look a little bit more professional, so we can say more dumb shit. Um, but yeah, we have to counterbalance it throughout the episode now. Pretty sure my cat just broke something, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, like we said, we have a ton to get into. It's our Pac-12 preview this week, our AFC and NFC North preview. Uh, we got a lot of golf and a lot of racing to talk about. Uh, so without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, starting with NASCAR, we're going to throw it over to Slade, and uh, let's get the show on the road. Yeah, so this past weekend, Harvick went back-to-back. He won at Michigan two weeks ago, and then this past weekend at Richmond, um really didn't see it happening from the start of the race he just wasn't the fastest car out there um uh sort of like michigan though his car they came in for a pit stop and they just kind of turned it on somehow it's just like they got a switch in his car um hamlin had some problems on pit road again and or no wait sorry he pitted off cycle um which kind of put him in a different part of the track for majority of the race then once they started doing that um, it was really interesting to see, and at the end of the race, unlike last week with Harvick pulling away, we got to see Christopher Bell kind of come from the back because he had spun out earlier in the race, uh, and he was charging hard for Harvick. Um, Harvick just hasn't been out front at all this year, and we saw at the end of the race, he stated he missed his gears a couple times. He was shifting <laughs> on the front stretch instead of the back stretch and vice versa. Um, it was just really interesting to see from someone that's been racing for over what 20 years now in nascar um it was it was funny to see what were you guys' thoughts on this past weekend i mean we had elliot another top five i just had to throw that out there just to <laughs> throw that at george and then uh we still have a really tight uh points battle if there are no more winners uh truex trails blaney by 26 points right now i think um yeah. so george we'll start with you what were your thoughts on the race at richmond uh, I, I honestly did not see a lot of it. I was focused on the FedEx Cup playoffs. But luckily, uh, I, I did get to switch over in time, especially once Saul Harvick was leading. It was about 20 laps ago I flipped over. Um, actually, it was earlier than that. It was when they are making their last green flag stops. Um, but, yeah, great ending to the race. Chris Buescher got up there right after the final green flag cycle and was pushing Harvick uh, for the win, and then his car just kind of fell off. And then out of nowhere, uh uh, Christopher Bell chased Harvick down. It didn't really help that, like you said, Harv. I don't know if it was in his head or what he was, if he was just too focused on trying to get around the cars. He wasn't thinking about what else he was doing. Um, yeah, he was missing the sifts, but getting through lap traffic and stuff, Bell closed, I think it was like six seconds and like four mm-hmm. laps. It was, it was something crazy. Um, but like I said, as a Harvick fan, it's awesome to see uh, him not only get back to back wins, but just two wins. And when weeks ago we were talking about this guy missing the playoffs completely. Um, he, he's finally has a, some luck going his way at Pocono. He was challenging for the win there late when they had all those restarts gets taken out, you know, by an accident that wasn't even his fault. Um, but this is something that's like the rest of the NASCAR teams need to be put on notice now that this is something that I would be concerned about if I was another NASCAR team. Um, this is a, a championship driver. He's won a championship before a championship crew chief. Uh, this is a team hungry to prove that they can still compete in NASCAR. A lot of people have written Stuart Haas racing off as, as a whole here, especially as a late, you know, before Harvick's two wins. Um, 
and now all of a sudden he has back-to-back wins. They're getting ready to go into the playoffs, and a lot of the playoff tracks he runs very well at Bristol, uh, Darlington. Uh, you look at Texas. Texas is one of his best tracks, um, and so it, it, it can – Yeah, and Phoenix is his best track. He has six wins there. Um, this is a team that if they get hot going in the playoffs, they, they could out of nowhere – you know, win a championship. So uh, the rest of NASCAR needs to be put on notice. Yeah, Nick, what were your thoughts on the race this past weekend? He got his 60th win also. Yeah, um, congrats on getting 64. Uh, to be honest with you, you said it best uh, last week, I guess it would have been. He said, you know, his team said they had the car all season uh, to get these wins. They just couldn't really put it together. He's put two in a row in now. Um which I think is all the proof we need in what his teammates said that, you know, he's had this car situation because this is the right opportunity. And like George said, um, great time to be catching momentum, uh, especially when you struggle, you know, throughout the major part of the year. So if you're a Kevin Harvick fan, um, it's great to see. If you're not, well, suck, 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 I guess. I, I just hope he doesn't piss off Chase Elliott going to the playoffs again because I don't <laughs> need those two fucking going at it and give me another heart attack. Uh, and then just real quick, uh, I actually forgot about it until you just said about it. Um, yeah, he so he has 60 wins now. He ties Kyle Busch. I think it's fifth place on the all-times list now. The only person ahead of him, and we'll end Kyle Busch now, but um, the only person ahead of him right now is Dale Earnhardt. And a lot of people are talking about, like, if, if you would have told me in 2001 after Dale Sr. passed away that the guy replacing him was going to be, you know, getting ready to pass his win total, um, you know, that's, that's some special stuff. Uh, and, you know, ever, ever since he, he's taken over that, that 29 ride at Childress, he, he has uh, the ultimate respect for, for Dale senior. Um, now, obviously we don't know if he's going to get there. There's still a lot, a lot of races left and a lot of things that can go wrong, but, um, it would, it would be very special if he was able to catch him. Yeah, definitely. And it was also cool. I don't, I don't know if we mentioned it, but, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before at Michigan, he actually put his daughter in the car with him to do the victory lap because during the COVID year, he had his son in the car, which was really cool to see. And so, yeah, it was really cool to see that his kids were there at the track, seeing him win these last few weekends now. Yeah. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on, is there going to be 16, 17 winners? Do you think that Blaney's going to be able to hold Truex off and get in on points? What, what are your guys' thoughts there just from a playoff standpoint? Um, Nick or George, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, I was. Uh, I definitely still see another winner coming. If not this weekend at Watkins Glen, absolutely Daytona. Uh, a lot of guys are going to go in there and say, "Hey, I have nothing to lose." And you have guys like Austin Dillon and Ricky Stenhouse who are not afraid to wreck the entire field. Um, I think it's going to be absolute mayhem. And I, I 100%. I'm not saying it, it's a lock guarantee that I would put down. If we have a first time winner, but it that probably has the best chance of getting us our 16th winner of the year. Um, Blaney is a very good road course racer, so he could definitely lock himself in this weekend. Um, if it comes down to points, I'm giving the edge to Blaney. I think he just overall uh, has had a, a more consistent season. Yeah, he's had some really shitty luck here the past couple weeks, you know, with, with strategies and, and cautions coming out the wrong times. Um, but I, I think just overall, he's been much more consistent than, than Truex. And I think honestly, underneath of him, he has a better car. You know, we, we've talked a lot about. Toyota's dominance this year, uh, you know, Chevy has shown that they are the best car at times, but they fall off. Ford has almost been non-existent this year outside of Harvick's last two wins. Um, and then, you know, Logano won uh, a couple times this year as well. Um, but really, 
Toyotas week in week out are, are consistently up there in, in the top of the running order, showing that they're the best cars. But Truex, outside of qualifying, has not shown that. Um, you know, he he's been in contention for some races, but not really. Um, so, I mean, if you put those two cars head to head, I'm I'm going to take Truex or uh, excuse me, I'm going to take Blaney. And just the last thing I want to say, if you think back to Michigan last week, uh, Truex ran Blaney down, passed him, and it, Blaney got into the wall, and everybody's like, oh, okay, well Blaney's going to fall back now. Three laps later, Blaney came out of nowhere and passed Truex back and actually ended up passing, I think, another car, too. Um, so, I mean, it, to me, that pretty much has summed up the playoff battle if it comes down to points. But like I said, I definitely see at least one more winner. Yeah, Nick, what are your thoughts on the playoff battle? Do you think that points play a factor here in a couple of weeks, or do you think that someone gets another one or two people get a win here and uh, that decides it? Yeah, um, I'm still sticking with my guns here. I'm going to say that we're going to get uh, that 16th winner. I do, however, think um, it very well could be Blaney. Um, you know, he's sitting there. If there's not an extra winner or another winner, um, you know, he's sitting right where he needs to be, end up making it in any way. But if you would have told me at the beginning of the season the kind of season Blaney would have had and wouldn't have a win yet, um, especially early on in the year when he was running great, um, not that he's necessarily been running bad, but um, I probably wouldn't have believed you. And here, here it is. We got two weeks left in the regular season. He doesn't have a win yet, but he's sitting right there in that 16th spot as it sits currently. I think that um, he's probably going to be, even though he's technically sitting safe right now, he's going to be somebody that uh, wants to cement his place in the playoffs, doesn't want to just get lucky and take a chance squeaking in off points. Um, so he's definitely going to be somebody to watch here in the next two weeks um, to try to get that 16th spot locked up. Yeah, so I actually think that. I think that there will be another winner, but I think that Truex has the best uh, chance, and I think it's this weekend. I think he's really good at Watkins Glen. Um, I, my favorite race win for Chase Elliott uh, all time, which is crazy to think because the Roval win that he had is pretty up there with wrecking and then being able to race through the field and get back and get the win, um, is him and, and Martin Truex Jr. just being way out in front of the field, just flying around the track for five laps. Truex trying to push Elliott to make a mistake, and and then Elliott eventually running out of gas after passing the start finish line. So I think that I think Truex has the best chance at getting the win to get in. I I do think that it's not going to matter with points, but I think it's also hard to think of someone other than Blaney and Truex that could get a win at a track that un uh that's not Daytona, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, Truex definitely, this is one of his better tracks that we're going through this weekend. Just like I said, in my mind just looking at the season as a whole, um, as far as he concerned, as, as far as he's concerned, it's just been underwhelming for me to, to see him run. I mean, he can definitely almost be like Harvick. Hey, we head here to one of his best tracks and I don't know where he just flips the switch and here we are. And I mean, you want to talk about a dangerous team heading into the playoffs if they start to get hot. <laughs> um, Jr. is definitely one of those teams. Again, a past champion, uh, a veteran crew uh, and somebody who most likely is getting ready to go into his last season. Uh, it, it could definitely be dangerous for the for the NASCAR field. So, um, you know, a lot of the people have started to write these old guys off. You know, Hamlin or excuse me, Hamlin, Harvick, uh, Truex Jr., Kurt Busch, and they're they're sticking around and they're showing that they're not done yet. So, yeah, very true. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see this weekend. Do either of you have a pick that you think will be the winner this weekend? If you had to put money down, Chase Elliott. <laughs> um. <clears throat> I don't necessarily have anybody in mind. I mean, 
you know, road courses always add a little extra to the racing with how close you are to the playoffs and only one spot available. I I don't know if I feel comfortable ne- picking anybody. I, I, I'm actually, seriously, I'm going to pick Dana Suarez. Uh, simply for the fact, uh, you know, we, we go to these other newer road courses on the NASCAR schedule. Uh, you look at the Indy Road Course, uh, Road America, um, I forget, uh, Circuit of the America, a lot of oh, Americas, yeah. goddamn. Um, <laughs> and you think of the traditional NASCAR, NASCAR road courses for years, it was just Sonoma and Watkins Glen. Um, and Suarez knows, obviously, how to get around both of them. Um, he won at Sonoma, and I have him winning at Watkins. Yeah, I kind of agree. I My pick was one of the track house teams. I think that they're both going to go ballsy when it comes to their pitch strategy because that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to here with these. Uh, who who comes in first under green flag? I mean, if there's a bunch of cautions, obviously it's anyone's game at that point. Yeah. Who's willing to push someone through the corner the most? Um, but I think if it does come down to pitch strategy, I think that both those teams are willing to push the, the issue the most. Um to put themselves in the best situation for the end of the race. I think that a lot of the, the Hendrick teams that are very good at road course, the Hendrick uh, drivers, I think that they're going to play it safe. They're just trying not to get any DNFs going into the playoffs. Um, so I think when it comes to like the, the road course racers, I think that the two track house teams and Martin Truex are going to be the three cars to push it the hardest this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of track, Trackhouse, we have it scoring across the bottom here. Kimi Raikkonen is coming over and running the NASCAR race this weekend. I'm super excited for that. He was my favorite F1 driver. Um, he has raced in NASCAR before. He did uh, the Charlotte race in both the Truck Series and the it was a Nationwide Series at the time. Um, did it really do great, but, I mean, you take a, an F1 racer, you throw him on an oval. We saw with Juan Pablo Montoya, Marcus Ambrose, all those, those boring guys that came over did it. They didn't really do that great. Um, Super excited to see him wheel around Watkins Glen this weekend in a track house car, uh, which I'm sure they've put a, a lot of money and R&D into to make the, the best possible car. Uh, so I, that's definitely a car I can see up there competing. And I would love nothing more than seeing Kimi Räikkönen win the race. Like, uh, that, would, that would be exciting. Do they have uh, track dryers, like, on the tracks at other countries? Like, no. Or is it a possibility we see a second... Um, non-US driver come over and hit a uh, air dryer. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, uh, F- oh, yeah, F1 doesn't use it as far as I know. Um, just because they run uh, wet races. They run rain tires, but, right? Yeah. Um, but hey, that, NASCAR has that too, so I'm sure it turned into an yeah. absolute shit show watching another NASCAR rain race. Um, Are you guys ready to talk about Zalatoris' uh, big weekend? Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Zalatoris won this past weekend. It was a thriller. We got to see a playoff, and it was, I'm going to butcher the name, Straka, but George is going to say it the correct way. Straka. You were close. Okay. Um, Anyway, they they played it out. Um, This was crazy to see Zalatoris in a playoff just to begin with because it was just a week ago that he fired his caddy on, I think, Friday, and then this week... Was it two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, so this is the first tournament that his caddy was there for and won $270,000 as a caddy this weekend. Um, pretty crazy to think about. Zalatoris uh, would have missed that putt at the playoffs earlier this season, but he got it done this weekend. What were your guys' thoughts on that? Um, 
Nick, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on the tournament this weekend? Uh, yeah, so I said in the group chat, uh, fucking finally. Um, I've been rooting for Zalatoris all season. Talking the most shit against him, too. But. I, I have talked about <laughs> it because he's let me down so many times. How do you think I feel? I've been a fan of yeah, this for I know, fucking years now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've I seen it coming, and then uh, I didn't happen to be able to watch at the end of Sunday, but I was following along on the scoreboard, and you guys were texting about it. Um, so I happened to turn it on, like, right when uh, he shot that. I'm not sure what hole it was on because I wasn't really listening. I was just kind of watching. But um, the shot that everybody's seen where he somehow manages to keep it on the stone wall. Oh, my God. That, yeah. And I know not only me, um, but everybody watching, and I'm pretty sure judging by his body language, he was also thinking, I've fucked it up again. Yeah. Um, and here comes Straka right after him and happens to plant his right in the water. I this is my first season watching golf, but I cannot imagine that I'm gonna see anything like that again anytime soon. Um, and I could hit a shot twice as good as that and not get a lucky bounce. Not that I physically could hit a better shot, but you know what I mean. That was insane. I have no idea how it stayed there, but I'm happy to say that I finally got to watch this man win. Like George said, I've talked a lot of shit recently. Um, I had seen in the broadcast that they were talking about he adjusted his, his putter grip like inches with his one hand, and that pretty much made all the difference in him missing a shit ton of putts because of the way he putted this past weekend. So hopefully we get to see that um, stay up and he keeps this momentum and challenges uh, here come the end of the playoffs. So I, I'm excited. Yeah, George, what were your thoughts this past weekend? Uh, me and you were texting back in the group chat with Nick. Yeah. No, uh, throughout the whole weekend, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, like we said on, on last week's episode, um, this is, you know, especially here in the playoffs, you get to these tournaments. It's not just about who's who's at the top of the leaderboard. It's, hey, this guy's trying to, to continue his season and give himself a shot. Um, we saw guys all day, Sunday especially. Um, at one point, the, the margin between 70th and 71st was 0.001 points. Um, it was that intense, and they were like, if, if it finishes this way, like, this is the tightest ever. It ended up being, uh, I think, three points was the difference, which was, I think, the third uh, closest uh, cutoff at, after the first playoff event. Um, but watching Shraka and Zalatoris duel it out on 18 um, twice and then having to go to 11, um, that was just insane to watch. Uh, you go back to regulation, uh, Zalatoris is a group ahead. He gets down there. Not a great tee shot. Everybody was surprised he took driver, you know, didn't understand why he did that. And then um, he's able to recover, stick it within 10 feet uh, and, and makes par. Uh, he hit that huge putt. And like we've said before, his biggest thing is everybody, he's a, a fantastic ball striker. He has a, a beautiful swing. Couldn't fucking putt to save his life. He's lost a lot of the majors because of that. You know, we go back to the U.S. Open. He has a chance to hit a, I think it was a 12 foot putt to send it to a playoff, and he, he shanked it to the left a little bit. Um, but they were talking on the broadcast. He brings in this new caddy who is really good at making these these green reads. And like you said, he, he worked with his coach a lot in, in his downtime. And yeah, like you said, it. So what they were talking about is it's a super stroke on his putter grip. And if his hand was above the E, 
he, he couldn't control his, his his swing as well and he could shank it left or right. But he found out if he puts it like as long as his top finger is touching the bottom of that E, he, it's perfect. And and uh, you, you saw that in effect. And once they said that on the broadcast, literally every putt they zoomed in on his on his putter. Yeah. Like is is his hand below? Mm-hmm. Um, but he had just so much confidence in his putter stroke this week. Um, and he gets to the tournament on Thursday, and they're like, "Oh, you know what? What happens if you don't make the cut this week?" His fiance asked him the same thing, like, "Oh, what are we doing this weekend?" Because he shot, I think it was like a seventy-two on on uh, Thursday, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "Well, if we don't make the cut, like, what do you want to do this weekend?" He's like, what the "Fuck, you talking about?" He goes out on a Friday and shoots, I think it was sixty-three, uh, and everybody's like, "Oh, okay, I guess we're making, <laughs> guess we're making the cut," um, but just wildly consistent, which was was so good to see for him. And if I'm in the, the PGA Tour now, I'm looking at that going, oh, shit, you know. You, you thought Scotty Scheffler was bad. Uh, this is somebody who is – this is his first full year in the PGA Tour. Um, we saw last year in his, his – essentially his rookie year, finished second at the Masters, finished uh, top 10 in just about every major tournament we went to. Uh, and this year, again, he was putting on the field. He just couldn't close it out. He finally did. Um, Hopefully that gives him enough confidence to, to carry through, you know, not just the rest of the playoffs, but you know, the rest of his career. And it could be very dangerous and a lot of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, so I mean, like you were saying, he shot he shot a seventy one on Thursday and then went out and shot a six three on Friday. And um it's just really beauty for Straka because Straka started with a sixty four on Thursday. And then followed it up with the 66 on Friday. Just to think that those scores, like just to think a 64 on Thursday and a 71 on Thursday at a Zalatoris, that they would be playing in a playoff on Sunday, you just wouldn't think it. Like you would think, like, oh, Zalatoris shot that. Oh, he had a good day Friday. But like, there's no way he's going to continue to shoot like mid 60s to be able to get to that point, you know? And he, he just got it done. I mean, he's obviously got a lot of confidence in this new caddy seems like based on like what you were saying in the broadcast that this caddy uh really has a reputation behind his name and uh definitely well deserved it seems that in his first week he cashed a check for 270k <laughs> that's just off of the win i can't imagine I, I think, yeah. Is paying him. yeah um i i think the the biggest difference and i i don't know what his previous caddy was like and i don't want to you know sit here and say oh that caddy fucking sucked um because obviously he did good enough to get Zalatoris towards second place in the masters last year like you said um but this this is a caddy who if i don't want to say if anybody else was there on 11 in the third playoff hole when like you said Zalatoris's ball goes up there bounces back and forth on those two rocks and again anybody else that would have fallen back in because you saw Shraka. Hit almost the exact same spot. It one hopped and went back into the water. Um, and Zalat Horse is sitting there going, I'm going to hit this ball as it's pushed up against the green. Uh, it would have ruined his day. And you and I are texting him back and forth going, saying that he's an Don't idiot if he oh does God. that. Yeah, uh, I was I was a nervous wreck watching that. Um, I'm sitting I'm I'm eating dinner as this is happening. I'm going, just, just take the drop. Just take the drop. That's all you got to do. Um, I think if Straka... When Straka took his shot, if Straka stuck it on the green anywhere within a makeable putt, I think Zalatoris is going to go for it. Um, once Straka overshot the green, was in the far side bunker. I think it kind of sank in, especially you know with more convincing from his caddies. Like, hey, listen, we're in a really good spot. 
we go take the drop. You just get this on the green. You two putt, and we win. You know, Straka, he just went into the bunker. Now he's got to chip out. Most likely a two putt, but, you know, you can't guarantee it. Probably a one putt, but still, we're, we're fine. Just go take the drop. And that was that was a nerve-wracking five minutes because it took way longer than it should have. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. It's like, still he, ridiculous. As soon as Straka hit his ball into the water, he should have taken a he should have gone back and hit from the drop zone. It's just ridiculous that it took Straka and and the way the event happened. So Straka was still farthest away from being in the bunker after his drop shot on the far on the far side. So Zalatoris got to watch Straka hit the ball three times before he decided. So he yeah. he hit it and then Straka hits his into the water, then Straka hits from the drop zone over, then Straka hits out of the bunker into the other bunker, and it's just ridiculous that it took all of that to make him realize that he shouldn't try and hit this ball into the grass that's an inch over top of his ball, and it just plopped back into the water. Like I mean, He had to have I, hit I, a shot like that before for him to have that much confidence in thinking that I mean, that I, was a better option than dropping it and hitting a gap wedge the 90 yards or the whatever yeah i think it was like 92 yards what they what they uh decided his distance was to the pin from the drop zone i mean i i want 100 as somebody like we said somebody sitting at home going what are you doing like this isn't going to work out at the same time you need to put yourself in his shoes this is somebody who has come so close to winning so many tournaments he was in three playoffs this year alone and and you know came up short if i'm if i'm putting myself in his shoes i'm standing there in that situation going should I go take the drop? It's the safe play, but the safe play has fucked me before and I've lost. And I, I'm sure once Straka hit his third actual shot, it would have been his fourth with the drop. It was it, it probably sank in a little bit more, but it was probably, like I said, more so convincing from the caddy to be like, listen, you got this, you're fine. You can, you've stuck these par three greens all day. You've been putting it on the field. You're a shit, shit ton closer. You just need to stick it on the green and then you end up one putting for a freaking bogey. So, um, like you said, I, I 100% agree with you. Like, if I'm in that situation, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going back there and taking the drop. Then again, I don't, I'm not a professional. I would have tried the shot and then gone and taken the fucking drop. But, um, <laughs> like I said, this is somebody who's just been in a situation so many times where you're sitting there going, when am I going to win? Like, how many times am, am I going to cost myself my first win? And then he's sitting there again in a playoff going, you know, we've gone back and forth. I want to end this now. And, like I said, if, if, they made him choose right then and there when Straka's ball was in the water, and he was hitting. We it. didn't know what. Yeah, we didn't know what his next shot was going to be. He was one hundred percent going to go for it. Would it have ended badly? Yeah, we all know that. But that, that's he. It was more so desperation than anything. And finally, I think, like I said, after the third shot, he's like, "Okay, I can do this. Just got to go stick my 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 shot, and then two putt, and we either go to another playoff hall or Straka misses a putt, and I win." So, um, yeah. So the, the broadcast. Oh, sorry, Nico. No, you're good. I was just going to say real quick, um, we've mentioned his name a lot, but I just wanted to take a second. Uh, Strzok is somebody that we haven't really, we haven't talked about, haven't really heard a whole lot about this season. Obviously, he snuck into the top 125 to make it to the playoff. Um, but minus matching Zalatoris trying to throw the playoff, um, he showed a lot of composure and a lot of confidence, um, especially on that back nine on Sunday. Uh he was down one stroke, I believe, somewhere near going into the back nine. I don't remember if it was um, still in the front nine or not, but he's down a stroke. He ended up catching that back up. Um, 
and managed to hang with Zalatoris as Zalatoris was trying to uh, win it outright. So, I, again, I just wanted to take a second to show appreciation of that. Um, somebody that's probably not used to being in that situation, at least on the PGA Tour, um, and until he got to the playoffs, he handled that very well. So, Yeah, so what I wanted to say is the broadcast, they had talked about while Zalatoris is debating whether he's going to hit this ball or not, as soon as he decided to go to the drop, uh, they were like, you know that, so I guess Monday, all of the members at that course get to come out and play the course while everything's still set up with the championship stuff, the banners, everything's still set up. And uh, they said, you know that every member is going to attempt that shot. Oh, there was videos here, going around, yeah. And you will know whether that was going to work or not. <laughs> no, I, uh, I saw a video the very next day, and some guy tried it. And yeah. he, I, obviously, the, these guys that go out there on the Monday are not the professionals, but still, this guy topped his ball, and it literally, it didn't even go forward. It literally freaking rolled backwards into the water, and he goes, yeah, you made the right call. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, like, it, you're... They they were saying that like the the odds of him not skidding the rock before hitting the ball like it was so hard to get underneath that ball which is what he was gonna need to do to get the ball up over top of the grass because it was just right between the rock that's sitting like a whole two inches below the grass yeah. um just a crazy shot that and not even just grass definitely... like, there was legit dirt there like yeah yeah, yeah it's it's just crazy the the amount of time that they were thinking through that um. Did you guys have anything that that stuck out other than the playoff this past weekend, like uh, any specific shots or anything like that that you wanted? Uh, Cam Smith getting fucked over was interesting to see. Now, when I say fucked over, what what he did was wrong. Yes, I one hundred percent agree. The fact that it took the PGA Tour almost a full day to catch it and give him a penalty, I thought was bullshit. Um, I follow no laying up on Twitter. Um, I love their con- golf content, especially. Um, but they said when you, you have a situation like that, it needs to stay in the day. Like if you catch it, this happened on Saturday. If you catch that mistake on Saturday, fine. It's all square. That That's fine. If you wait until like minutes before he tees off on Sunday, it, it, it needs to be squashed. Like, Hey, we missed this penalty, but you know, it, it's fine. Um, waiting until he was getting ready to tee off on, on Sunday in contention to go win. I thought was was horseshit. I understand there's a lot of rumors going around with him. Is he leaving? Is he not? So on. Um, if and I really hope that had nothing to do with that decision. But um, if 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 that is the case, I can 100% see why he's leaving. And like I said, I just think it's bullshit. Waiting. It was just last to the fire. Yeah, just waiting to the last possible minute. Yeah. I, it's it's chicken shit and it's bullshit. I, I didn't agree with it, but that, that's all I have to say. Yeah, and yeah. to build on that. Um... He's out this coming week with some hip discomfort. Um, a lot of sources have said that he's kind of been dealing with this for months. And I had sent you guys kind of what you talk about. Um, you know, everybody thinks he's going to live golf after the playoffs are done. Uh, a lot of people were saying that this two-stroke penalty, uh, especially the day after, um, might have kind of been PGA's way of saying, you know what, you're not winning this, and then, you know, riding off in the sunset. Um, and the reason I brought up the hip injury is because to me, if you're somebody that has been dealing with something for months, I, I understand that it could get worse, but he's played a lot of golf in the last couple months, and to be in the position to try to win uh, the FedEx Cup playoffs and then turn around and say, oh, well, this hip discomfort I've been dealing with for a little while is all of a sudden bugging me so bad that I can't play this weekend. Um, it definitely, at the very least, it raises a lot of questions. 
as to the validity of some of these stories that are coming out. Now, obviously, if the playoffs end and he does end up going to live, I, I think that um, I wouldn't necessarily say seals the case, um, but it's definitely going to raise a lot more questions and make people wonder, okay, was there some truth behind these stories that are coming out? I mean, I'm not denying that his, his hip feels uncomfortable, but at the same time, yeah. I don't think he's competed since the Open. So if this has been bothering him for a while, why wasn't this something you took care of with your, your what, almost four weeks of off? off yeah, time? Well, that's, another, that's um, another thing, too. It just, it's, yeah. there's some things that don't add up. But the, the other thing I saw was because this weekend's the BMW Championship, um, he withdrew because he doesn't want to be associated with BMWs because he has two Bugattis now from his live contract. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was funny, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he's 100% gone, um, and whether the PGA Tour absolutely 100% knows it, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up withdrawing from next week as well. Um, you know, just kind of like the uh, – I've heard some people say, listen, the PGA is like, you're not playing again. Like, you're, you're done. Um, so we, we'll come up with some plausible excuse, and, and you can, you know, be on your way, but we, we don't want you here. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens next week. Yeah, and another thing real quick, like, if you're PGA and you want to keep your top players, like, I mean, obviously, if he made his decision up and the PGA knew about it, you know, a little too late, whatever. Um, but if maybe he said, look, I'm not 100% sure, I'll play these playoffs out and see how I feel afterwards, and then you were like, oh, you know what, fuck you, here's two strokes a day after you made the mistake, that's not a good way to keep players. Obviously, this is all speculation. We won't really know unless more comes out. But nonetheless, uh, wild first FedEx Cup playoff for me to watch. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's just a bad weekend to be Cam Smith, to be honest, because it all just happened to where the spotlight has really been magnified on him ever since it came out that there was a possibility of him going to live. Um, the the fact that the, the stroke, um, the two strokes being added the day after, so they do a review of all of the rounds at the end of the day, no matter what tournament it is. So this has been something that's happened for a while, and they said that they've given out multiple stroke penalties day after plenty of times in the past. It's just there's such this spotlight on Cam Smith. I mean, you had the first day Scotty uh, Scheffler walking through his fucking putting line, and then that being the talk about how, oh, Scheffler walked right through his line. He's like, this is, your, this is like a goodbye gift to you as you go to live tour, you know? And there was the drama there. And then the next day, before they started their round, they both said, like, we didn't think that. Like, Scheffler, like, they they agreed that that wasn't the case. And then you get a day or so of nothing being said about him and Liv. And then the very next day, he's assessed the two-stroke penalty. And all of a sudden, it's all the way back on it to where it's like, fuck Cam Smith. He's going to live. Like, screw him. He's the black sheep of the PGA Tour. Like, you know. and so then, as soon as the tournament ends, then he comes out with this, and so I, I personally think that this hip hip discomfort, like you guys were saying, is is his. It, it's the PJ Tour. They've they've found or somehow been leaked to his contract signing, and it's probably against his contract with the PGA to be able to compete, like with the players associate, the PGA Players Association, whatever deal he has, um. It's probably against it that he can't sign with another league. And so if that's the case, I, I think that we'll find that out real quick. If he withdraws next week, then it's guaranteed that he's going to the live tour because this is the playoffs. So 
you don't withdraw because you have a little bit of discomfort in your hip. Yeah. He he can still make hundreds of thousands of dollars just going out and playing Thursday and Friday next week. So it's just it's just unfortunate to see. And uh I mean it's at the same time though, if if you know this is a one hundred percent legit reason, hey, my hip doesn't feel the greatest. He's already locked into the tour championship next week. Like like you said, yeah, he could go out there and make a couple thousand dollars and miss the cut. At the same time, you know, most of that money he was he was gonna make missing the cut anyway. He was gonna make I'm talking about over. next week. Well, I'm just saying like as far as this week, like yeah, if he withdraws next week, I mean if he withdraws next week and we know he's gonna live, it doesn't matter how much money he would have made missing yeah, the cut. He's gonna make a whole hell of a lot yeah. more. <laughs> but like it as far as this week, like Hey, okay, 100%. He has his hip discomfort. Let, let's take a week off before we, we go play the tour championship. Um, yeah, again, it's a valid reason. Hey, I'm not gonna, you know, put more wear and tear on my body. I'm gonna go rest up for a week and then I'm gonna go to the tour championship in Atlanta and I, I feel fresh. I'm fine. I know I'm locked in there. I, I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, again, if it's a valid reason, great. I, you know, I hope he feels better soon. Uh, but like we said, we'll have to wait and see, and, and we'll see what comes out next week, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm anxious to see all of what comes out. You know, PGA had their meeting yesterday and then today with all the players and stuff. Tiger flew in. We got to see all the videos of him and Rory getting into a Mercedes or whatever and driving off the, the tarmac. The, <laughs> the memes that came out of that were hilarious. Yeah. It, was Rick, it was him and Ricky Fowler, and they got in the car. And Tiger started driving, and everybody was like, Ricky Fowler's in the passenger seat, putting like 30 fucking seatbelts on him. Yep. Hey, let's keep it on the road this time. Uh, I thought that Tiger show showed up in a fucking flannel and jeans, and it's like, yeah. I've never seen this man wear flannel in my life. I know. I, it looked like he just walked out of the woods after cutting down trees. Yeah. He was like, yeah. He, he had the limp and everything, and he just got done work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he looks like a 70-year-old <laughs> that just lives out in the woods. Oh. Yeah, so... uh. Nick, first off, how are you drinking Dunkin' Donuts at 10 o'clock at night? I know. I saw that. What, what the fuck, buddy? I stopped on the way home. They were I don't, oh, my God. You know that they definitely thought that you were a nurse at the hospital or something because there's the only people oh, getting probably. coffee at 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, probably. I was like, shit, I'm fucking tired. I got a podcast for you. Give me some coffee. Bro, if I showed up to the hospital and he was my nurse, I 100% would just kill myself on the spot. It honestly just wrap that would, wrap the that would be my first around your neck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, you guys ready to move into college football? Fuck yeah! <laughs> George has got the excitement tonight. Um, so you guys switch our banner, buddy. Hold on, oh, I gotta, I gotta uh, put my hat on first. Uh, oh. okay, Holy okay. shit! Was that hat from 1860? 1994. Oh, uh, I see, I see. Last time they were there. Um, it, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um. Well, it's not hard when the winner of your uh, division gets a guaranteed spot in that bowl. <laughs> uh, so, Pac-12 review. Uh, I just want to start it out with that's that's who we're going to talk about this week. But the Pac-12 commissioner, talking about like the Super Leagues and Super Conferences and stuff, this dude is a jackass. He thinks that the Pac-12 is still superior to all the other, all the other conferences. That's what he no. came out and said. No, he, he said, said they have no He said they're problem. better than the fucking Big 12. And he's one hundred percent right. Wait, wait, but he's he's structuring that all on their media rights. Yeah. So, I understand, but they're losing UCLA and USC. USC is one of their biggest deals when it comes to media rights. 
I'm um, saying as of now, obviously in, in two, three years. Right, right. But as of now, USC is – so their media rights are up at the end of this year. So all contracts will be signed for the Pac-12 with USC not a part of that. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out for them. They've already stated that the Pac-12 main games, that there will be one or two games played on main television. The rest of them will go to one of the sister networks like Apple or Amazon Prime to be able to play the rest, of, like view the rest of the games. I mean, I think it would be... fair, that's all that fucking happens now. Like you, you have your right, Oregon right, right. games and you have USC or UCLA maybe mm-hmm. on national TV. Outside of that, you need the Pac-12 network to watch any any games because the rest of the Pac-12 fucking sucks and nobody wants to watch it. So yeah, I mean, we'll get into it. I think this year you're only going to see Oregon and Utah games, but um, uh, we'll get into it. We'll see. Anyway. Uh, that, uh, there's a lot of going on with UCLA that makes a lot of sense as to why they're making the move to the Big Ten. I did not realize how much in debt the athletic department is just at UCLA. So it came out that they got a new athletic director a year ago. He, uh, came onto the scene and the school is a hundred million dollars in debt just with their athletic department. Uh, they had also pre-COVID signed the, uh, second largest, um, apparel endorsement deal with Under Armour. It was a 15-year, $280 million deal for them to wear Under Armour on all their athletes' uh, apparel. Uh, During COVID, because UCLA was one of the schools that stopped play, um, they had canceled their game against... uh, Shit, who were they supposed to play? Um, Anyway, it it was a big school. They were supposed to play in a bowl game. But they canceled the game, and then Under Armour tried to cancel their contract. And so then UCLA sued... Um, Under Armour, Under Armour sued UCLA, and it came out this past week that Under Armour is going to pay UCLA $67.5 million to just drop all of the lawsuits. Um, Under Armour also, during that time, signed a deal with Nike and Jordan, six-year deal worth $46.5 million, which puts them at the amount of getting themselves out of debt and moving right into the Big Ten in that time, which is just crazy to see. Um, Starting out with they're in debt because nobody shows up to watch their shitty fucking teams play. The only good, the only good school or the only good team they have is their basketball team, and even that team is trash half the time. So I mean, I they're losing a shit ton of money because they're not selling any tickets. They played Oregon last year, and it wasn't a primetime spot. I'm pretty sure it was a three thirty slot here on on the East Coast, but it was the game of the week. College game day was there. UCLA was finally looking good. I think they were they only had one loss at the time. Oregon only had one loss at the time. Like this is going to be the like a huge battle, and for uh, as big as the game as that was, the stands were half fucking empty. I was <laughs> I, I remember sitting there watching the game, going, "What the fuck is going on?" Like I would expect this if like UCLA was like zero and six at this point, and, and yeah. but this was a a marquee game in their season, and they were winning for most of it too. Like they they won, they were leading through halftime. It wasn't until like midway through the third quarter where Oregon took the lead, and then from there it was back and forth. Like it wasn't a blowout. It was a really good game, and the stands were half empty. And I remember sitting going, "What the fuck am I watching?" Like I thought, I honestly God, I thought <laughs> the I was Maryland watching. game. Yeah, that's what I was like. It it, it it baffled my mind, but yeah. Uh, so to me, it's not a surprise. It, I mean, it probably has nothing to do with it. But... I want another uh, nervy just now, but um. <laughs> Anyway, so 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 the crazy part about this is that the uh, I think it, they said it was the marketing director and the athletic director were the ones that were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and they had said that the biggest deal that they need from this Big Ten deal 
is they believe that this is going to allow them to market their players better, which kind of points at the NIL deals. So I think that that's what they're looking at in from a recruiting standpoint, being able to get the uh, bigger name players because they'll be able to get, they're still from California, so they'll be able to get a lot of the deals, um, like sponsorship deals for their athletes that say Ohio State's not going to pull something from California to sponsor. Like just deals like that that will really benefit them in terms of Big Ten play because they'll that's, only be competing, competing with USC. That's bullshit. Because if you are in, uh, they're in the conference they're in now. If you can't draw people to come play in fucking L.A. in one of the most historic stadiums in in all of college football, that's your own deal. And I can guarantee you going to another conference isn't going to solve that because those kids from California ain't going to want to fly to Wisconsin in the middle of November to play a fucking game and get blown out by 35 points. Like, it's not going to happen. You you have issues on your own that you need to figure out in the Pac-12. Going through the Big Ten isn't going to solve a lot of these issues. I, I can tell you right now, they they might be decent, but I I honestly feel like playing in the pat or the Big Ten is going to turn a lot of these kids away, and not not from USC because Lincoln Riley is a very good recruiter, but UCLA more so because listen, hey, they're not that good. It's going to take a lot to turn that program around. And like I said, I don't want to fly to Wisconsin, Northwestern. I don't want to fly to these you know these middle to nowhere schools and play in the middle of winter and just get my ass beat. And well, I don't think that that's the case. I think that it's more uh, nowadays college football is almost like there's the five to ten teams that you know. I mean, you have the top three teams, which we already know came out in your AP rankings that you went over, um, that, that are, like, going to be there every year. Mm-hmm. But it's like ten teams that have a chance at getting up there. Um, I think the rest of them are just competing for TV time. So I think that's the biggest thing that USC and UCLA get out of this is every Saturday their game will be on TV. So they're from from a personal standpoint, me as a wide receiver or a linebacker or whatever, my team could get blown out all 12 games of the season. But I got to be on TV to where recruiters are seeing me beat the shit out of the guy on the other side of the ball for me, you know, like at whatever, whatever position they're playing. So I think that my thought process, that's the biggest thing I see in this in this switchover from a NIL, from a possibly getting into the NFL from that standpoint. I mean, I, I, I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, we have dudes from fucking Appalachian State who their only game of the year that ever gets put on TV is when they play on a Thursday night. And if you are good enough, people will find you no matter what. And I, I used to go by that same philosophy for years where, like, you know, all, like on, only the best draft picks come from these top schools that are on TV week in and week out. And, I mean, the Big Ten is going to get a huge boost here with their new TV deal. They're going to be on NBC, CBS, and Fox. And then whatever games aren't on national TV are going to get put on these these really good streaming services. Um, and so USC and UCLA are lucking out there. And that's where a lot of these other um, conferences are fucking up. Is I mean, the SEC has a, a lock with ESPN. They have the SEC network. They're going to have all their games on all the ESPN channels now. Uh, and you, you have ESPN Plus where you can stream all the other games. But the ACC and the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are falling way too far behind. And they, I don't understand why they can't realize this shit. And we, we, we can say the same thing about all these other sports organizations, too. We, I argue the same thing about IndyCar all the time. If you want to grow the sport, you need to be the first of your kind to beat people to these streaming services and get a really good deal there and, and grow your brand on these streaming services. Because this is where everybody's headed. Like we're, we're always going to have our, our, our cable TV. And you know, or like our Hulu Live, Fubo TV, whatever it may be, to watch live national TV. But at the same time, 
more people are going to be switching to just regular Hulu or, you know, um, Netflix, whatever it may be to watch these other games. And if you're, um, your conference can get there and establish yourself, you're going to be set. The Big Ten has done it. The, uh, the SEC has done it. I feel like the ACC is probably the next closest. I know they have a shit ton of games on ESPN Plus um, outside of like their, their marquee games. They're not really ever on national TV. Um, but the, the Big Ten, or excuse me, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 need to get their shit together. And and like uh, we're going to talk about it here in a little bit. But um, if I'm the Pac-12, I just fucking I, – I, I try and join up with either the Big 12 or the Big 10. Uh, or and, get someone like Mac or someone to partner with them. I would just say so the Mac, have, yeah. Just so they have like a, a, a lot more teams to be able to, to play, you know? I mean, yeah, but at the same time, it's it's not about adding more teams as much as it is the quality of teams. Like, they can go out there and they can easily pick up, like, a Mountain West Conference. And the Mountain West Conference has, like, three or four pretty good schools. But at, at the same time, it would be great to pick them up. But you got to think they're also picking up New Mexico State and, and all these bottom-tier shit teams that, you know, haven't won more than three games in, you know, 10 years. Um, and – that's that's the biggest question mark going forward is, hey, you know, it would be perfect to join up with like a, a group of five conference and just merge and, and be set. But at the same time, you're you're tainting your own pool then by, like I said, bringing in all these shitty teams. But granted, every power five conference has shitty teams. Pac-12 has Arizona, Colorado, um, Washington, but you could argue they're, they're going to get better. So on. Um, but I, I feel like the worst teams in Power Five conferences are far better than the worst teams in Group of Five conferences. And like I said, it, it'd be great to say, "Hey, the, the Pac-12 is going to go out and merge with the, the Mountain West tomorrow, and, and everything's solved." But like I said, at the same time, you're you're absorbing those terrible fucking teams, which are going to do nothing for your your brand. Yeah. So um, for those listening, the reason we're oh, you, oh you're still there. I am. I am. You guys, listen. You guys are having a good conversation. I wasn't about to step in. Um, but for those listening, we're on this topic because uh, we wanted to discuss whether the Pac-12 was able to save themselves. Um, it's pretty clear what these two think about it. Uh, I just wanted to say the only prayer that this conference really has, and it's an absolute prayer, um, is Notre Dame. We all know that's not going to happen. Um, so you look at uh, the two big front runners right now in conversation to join the Pac-12 uh, are currently San Diego State and Houston. Not exactly what I would consider to be. What? Houston, Go ahead. Houston already signed with the Big 12. They did? Okay. Yeah. I, I just happened to, to see a report. I didn't know for sure. Um, it didn't say like that they were. It just said that that's who they were looking at. Um, so, okay. So, you got San Diego State as your top front runner right now. Um, the Pac-12's biggest selling point, and it's good that you guys were talking about like TV and stuff like that, is their late window TV time. So, um, with most of the teams being over there on the West Coast, uh, obviously, you get some of those later times that are going to be filled with, you know, East Coast games and whatnot. The SEC and the Big Ten are were the two best conferences in the NCAA overall um, before this whole Super Conference thing started, and obviously since then they've gotten uh, deeper on their on the team rosters. So the Pac-12, like uh, I believe it was George who said, is already way behind the eight ball on this, um, along with the ACC, the Big Twelve. And quite honestly, I really don't think that there's a chance of recovering, barring some absolute miracle um, that I, I just, I 
Um, so if if the Pac-12 were, were to save itself, there's there's two routes for me that I see. One is like I already said, combine with either the Big 12, which I don't think is going to happen now because the two commissioners they're shit talking each other. Yeah, they won't shut the fuck up and and realize that they're hurting each other more than they are helping anything by mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, my conference is better than yours." Well, no, mine is. They're and fighting you're over. They're fighting over fourth place. Yeah. yeah. My my favorite, They're fighting over a dead body. Like. No, this is this is my girlfriend. No, that's my girlfriend. Like that's just uh, is how stupid they are. Um, but like I said, I, they already have rich ties with the Big Ten. Just 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 join together and say, hey, you know, we have these four divisions now, and it would basically, in my mind, just go back to being the way it was before. Um, four divisions play each other. You either have the you know those two champions play each other, and they move on, and then those two winners go to the fucking Rose Bowl. Like like it's been for years, um. But the the bowl structure is so fucked up anymore with the playoffs and everything, um. That, that the Rose Bowl could be in the playoffs and neither. Of yeah. Them play. yeah. Um. It's it's just frustrating to, to, to see, um. But as far as teams to to add to expand, uh, I have four down that I think would be really great additions for them. One is San Diego State. Uh, the other is Boise State. Boise State has a natural rivalry with Oregon. Every time they play. It, almost every time they, there was a fight that breaks out. I remember, I, I want to say it was 2010 uh, when they played at Boise State and LeGarrette Blunt, LeGarrette Blunt punched the dude in the face. Like that, that's a, a memory that's always stuck in my head. Um, they play next year, I'm pretty sure. Uh, the other two are Utah State and Fresno State. Uh, Utah State would be a great rivalry with Utah, obviously in-state, um, and Fresno State as well with, with the other California schools that are staying behind, like Stanford, Cal. Uh, in San Diego State, if they can add them. Um, so, I mean, there's there's plenty of good teams out there that the Big Ten, or excuse me, the Pac-12 could definitely add. And like I said, to bolster. Um, but I, I think we're heading to the point now with college football where there's I, – I would add this, just rather see, like, five divisions and get rid of the word conference. Like, we just have five divisions. We have the West, the, the Northeast, the Southeast, the Midwest, whatever. And, you know, you have all these teams and they get geographically placed and then those teams advance and then you get one wild card team and there's your 16 playoff. And then, hey, we go from there. Um, do I think that'll ever happen? No. Because, uh, honestly, the, the college football playoff committee, the NCAA, and these commissioners are just too boneheaded and, and, and stubborn. Now, outside of the see, SEC and, and the Big Ten. Sorry, I just want to say that. I did see uh, a report that the committee actually had gotten together and while – I was going to talk about that, but yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it was like a five-minute conversation. Yeah. It was like, hey, should we do this? And it, like, I, I read the same report. It was like, yeah. hey, um, it was like, I think just brought up, and everybody's like, should we do this? And then it was um, a very quick conversation. And people have said, listen, this is the, the baby steps before baby steps. And like this, this is something that could take another five years to even be, become a, a full-blown conversation and thought. Um, but yeah, it, it, case i cut nick off literally he was talking about there was a report came out today um the college football playoff committee held a meeting and said should we just leave the ncaa behind and create like our own governing body which i and i've heard it rumored before is is you know because uh i can't think of his full name i know it's mark the head of the ncaa was like there's no fucking point in the ncaa anymore and he he has even admitted that himself um so i, I again i think that's very far away uh, but it, it'll be definitely interesting to see if, if that's where we're headed. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, getting into some talk about this season, 
can USC surpass Utah in the South? Nick, what do you think about USC, new coach, Lincoln Riley's there. Do you think that he's able to put this stellar um, list of transfers and recruits that he's brought in um, on the field and them all to, you know, really um, be able to play well together to get past Utah, who was really on fire last season? Yeah, um, I think USC is going to have a, a great season, um, especially in terms of the seasons they've had recently. However, um, Utah is going to look just as good, if not better, as they did last year. And I think that USC, um, with everything new that's come to the team, whether it's coach, players, etc., um, I, I think it's going to take them a couple games to really get into full swing. And I think those first couple games, um, you know, they might end up dropping one or two of those early ones. And, you know, we'll put them uh, kind of outside looking in. And like I said, Utah, uh, I... I I don't want to get too far into this yet, but no, I, I do not think this year that USC um, will top Utah. However, I think they could play a little spoiler in their last season in the Pac-12 next year, um, but I, I just I don't see it happening this year. I, I will say that there's a chance, but I, I personally at this time do not see it. Yeah, so George, what are your thoughts on that? What, do you think Utah is able to uh, get it done again, or do you think UCLA is able to overturn the uh, the power right now? Um, yeah, so I'm going to break this down for both teams in depth a little bit more than Nick did. Uh, with Utah, you have Cam Rising returning, who came out of nowhere last year. He originally lost the starting job at Utah, and then I believe it was a third game of the year against San Diego State. He gets put in uh, and just goes on a ridiculous run, uh, 2,493 yards and 20 touchdowns. Um, he's returning uh, five of his top six pass catchers, which is huge. Uh, three of the five off- offensive linemen. Um, so this offense somehow only ranked 40th last year. And after watching that Rose Bowl, especially, I don't understand how it was that low, but, uh, I think that they should definitely rank a lot higher. Um, their defense did lose two huge players, uh, Devin Lloyd and Nefe Sewell. Um, one of the Sewell brothers, uh, his oldest brother plays for the Lions and his younger brother actually plays at Oregon. Um, but, um, I, I think they return enough players and they get enough, um, uh, out of the transfer portal this year. Uh, especially Muhammad, I'm going to say this. His name is spelled diabetes, but I, I, there's no way that's right. But that's that's how diabetes. it's spelled. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think this is definitely a, a team poised to make another run this year. Uh, as far as their schedule goes, uh, their key games, they play Florida week one uh, at Florida. Uh, San Diego State again. Uh, then they have USC, obviously, in Oregon. Um, they're at Oregon this year. As far as USC, uh, we could spend an entire episode alone talking about all the transfers they got in this year. Um, they have, <clears throat> excuse me, Caleb Williams coming in from Oklahoma, uh, who has already cut up a Pac-12 defense in Oregon. Granted, you could argue it was depleted. Uh, I mean, he either declared for the draft or just decided they didn't no, want to we're play. Not, we're not arguing that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jordan Anderson is the other big transfer they get from Pitt, the Blitnikoff winner from last year. Um, again. As far as they go, their schedule is a cakewalk this year. They don't they don't play Oregon, uh, which I think they catch a break. Um, their hardest game out of conference is the last game of the year. They host Notre Dame, um, so I have them going eleven and one. I also have Utah going eleven and one, but I have Utah winning uh, at or excuse me against USC, uh, and I think it's just enough for them to to get back to the Pac twelve championship game this year. Um, 
see. I, I have Utah winning a game this year, at least in the South. I don't want to say the conference winner. I want to say the South. Yeah. That's why I didn't get into too much details yet because I got I got that stuff for it. Yeah, I'll save it. I'll save it. Um. So yeah, I, I think that kind of an agreement. I think that Utah is going to be able to continue to get it done this season. I think they have a little bit of a tougher schedule in comparison to USC. But I do see USC getting two losses. I see them losing to Notre Dame, like you mentioned, and also Utah. Um, I think that it could also they could also take a loss to someone like Washington State or Arizona mid mid season there, just because, like Nick was saying, just just having a rough time of getting everyone to to work on the same level. And I think that they're gonna have a lot of problems with there being a lot of guys that want to be the star with all the transfers that they've gotten in, um, just the type of offense and, and team that Lincoln Riley uh, seems to run, in, in my eyes at least, I think that they're going to have a lot of guys that want the ball every play. And I think that about midseason, right after the Utah game, especially if they lose that Utah game, um, I think that, yeah, like Arizona could definitely play um, – uh, like a spoiler for them in their season. I think that they're already going to have that loss to Utah, and if Utah wins out like you um, expect also, George, I think that they're just going to have an easy path to the Big 12 championship then in yeah. Utah. Uh, and I just want to say real quick, because I don't want to spend forever on this, because um, I've talked enough tonight. Um, but, I mean, last year, Nick and I talked about it right after Lincoln Riley got hired. I, I feel like I'm – Based on what I said then, and even now in my head, I feel like I'm giving them more credit than probably what they deserve. Because in my mind, as far as I'm concerned, the USC head coaching job is a cursed job. Like I, they they might get back to the Rose Bowl, you know, before they depart for the Big Ten, and even when they get to the Big Ten, they might make the Rose Bowl. But ever since you had the that dream team of Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush, uh, Matt Liner, and you had those guys go through there, ever since that program fell apart once they left. They have never been able to fully recover. Like I said, yeah, they, they made the Rose Bowl a couple years. And Arnold. Yeah. But I, still, even then, you could argue that was a stacked team, and oh, they only great. made the Rose Bowl. And yeah. you, you you think back before that, you had the, the teams come in. Uh, Matt Barkley was there, and everybody was like, oh, the, the USC's back. Here we go. And I, I think they maybe won the, the, the Pac-12 one year when he was there. Um, like I said, I just feel like this is a, a cursed job. And no, no matter who they bring in there, this is just it's they they'll get good again, but I don't think they'll ever get back to to those days. Um, I think that's what everybody's expecting to happen right off the bat this year alone, but especially going forward is is for that team to return to uh, a team that makes the the national championship every year, the college football playoff every year. And I, I personally, I just don't see that. It's unrealistic at at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um... Do you guys think on the opposite side in the north that anyone is going to challenge Oregon this season? Uh, Nick, we'll start with you just because I feel like we're going to kind of have a long conversation on George's <laughs> when it comes to his team. Rightfully, yeah, so, it's his team. Yeah, understandable. We did it. We're, he's allowed to do it. Um, yep. But it, my answer is pretty simple, and I'm not just saying it to make George happy. I don't think anybody in the north is touching Oregon this year. Uh, they're returning a ton, ton of talent and playmaking ability on the offensive side of the ball on top of uh, adding Bo Nix at QB, uh, or at least he's the projected starter at this point. I think he'll be the starter at the beginning of the season, throughout the season. Um, the defense could definitely use some improvements uh, from last season. You know, they had some great pieces, but there were things that they could have tidied up, and we've seen that 
unit and serviceable enough to allow that high-powered offense to win games that they need to win. That fucking defense last year made me want to paint my ceiling with my brain cells. But yeah, Dude, especially with some <laughs> of the talent that was there. Like, oh my god! Like the the first game against Utah was bad enough, but the second game in the Pac-12 championship was like there was there was zero changes from the first game, and I was yeah, just, like, did you not learn anything? <laughs> I'm sitting there going, "How the fuck is this happening right now?" But yeah, um, so. The the team I have picked that I think will challenge Oregon the most, how much of a challenge that is, you know, you can debate. Um, I picked Oregon State. Uh, they had a, a surprise year last year, uh, their first winning record since 2013. Um, excuse, not, I, I think they might have had a 7-6 year before. No. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, their best year since 2013, anyway. Uh, they returned their star QB and three offensive linemen. Uh, they definitely need a huge improvement on defense, but they did bring in a new defensive coordinator. Um, and so I think this Oregon State team will be much improved from 7-6 and six last year. Uh, whenever they play Oregon the last week of the regular season, it is always a tough game no matter – and uh, I mean, that's what rivalry week is, is. It doesn't matter if you have the number one team playing the, the last you know team 123. If it's a rivalry game, it's going to be close. Um, and I believe they're in Oregon State this year, I want to say. I might be wrong with that. I think they're in Oregon State. Uh, as far as Oregon goes, uh, we have a new OC, new QB, uh, a new head coach, and I have new life in this team. Um, whether the, the QB is Bo Nix or Ty Thompson, we've seen flashes of Ty Thompson in the, the past year. Um, Bo Nix has, has made his resume at Auburn. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with him. He broke my heart in person in 2019 uh, when I went to my first ever Oregon game. Um, but he has shown flashes that he can be a great QB. I was watching a college football hype video this morning, but um, he, I believe it was Texas A&M, and he, like, squirted out of the pocket, and all of a sudden he just ran over a dude and scored a touchdown. I was like, all right, well, I'm kind of excited for this year now. Um, but, uh, like like we said, defense was, was the worst part. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping a defensive-minded coach can help, you know, swing that momentum. I always thought back to the Chip Kelly and uh, – he lost us in national championship, and I want to think about him again. Um, Mark Mariota, no, the coach. <laughs> um, but for the longest time, Oregon did not give a shit about defense. Uh, we were lucky to, to have like one or two really good defensive players, and they would just carry our defense. Um, Mario Cristobal comes in, and he definitely recruited heavier on the defensive side, and the defense improved, but it still wasn't great. And like we said, we saw that last year. Uh, now we have Dan Lanning coming in from Georgia. He was a defensive coordinator on a national championship team. These are going to be huge recruits uh, come in from the defensive side of the ball. So I'm super excited to see how much improved that defense is. Uh, as far as the offense, um, Kenny Dillingham will now be our new OC, uh, as well as quarterback coach. Uh, in the past, it, it, I think back to Herbert and Anthony Brown when they played under Cristobal. We understand what kind of talent Herbert is. We are, we are seeing that in the NFL, and we saw – how great he could be in college. Um, but I, I didn't think it was more so the system. I just thought, hey, maybe he's not ready yet. Uh, and then he went to the NFL and jumped, you know, jumped the gun, and now he's arguably the top five QB in the NFL. Um, you look at Anthony Brown, who I thought was the worst fucking quarterback I've ever seen at times last year. Um, I believe he's on the Ravens now. In his preseason debut, he was throwing the ball around like he was going to win the goddamn Heisman. and I. I understand now how terrible our QB system was last year. 
in, in years prior. Um, so I did some digging, and I, I promise this is the last thing we're going to talk about with, with uh, Oregon. Um, but Kenny Dillingham's um, QB development under him. Um, so at 2017-2018, he was at Memphis. Uh, 2017, he had Riley Ferguson, uh, threw for 38 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He had a 161.2 passer rating. Uh, 2018, we had Brady White, uh, 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions, uh, 150.7 passer rating. Uh, 19, he worked with Bo Nix at Auburn. Um, in that offense, uh, he threw 16 touchdowns, six interceptions, had a 125 passer rating. Dillingham left the next year. Bo Nix went 12 touchdowns, seven interceptions for a 123 passer rating. So a little bit of a drop off. Um, so, I mean, if he's going to come and take over Bo Nix again, Hopefully, uh, you know, we, we can see him return to his, his, his top tier. Uh, and at 20, or 2020 and 2021, he was a Florida State offense coordinator. Um, Jordan Travis is a QB both years. Uh, 2020, he went six for six um, with a 128 passer rating. Last year, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions, 148 passer rating. Um, so, I mean, he, he got his feet wet. Uh, granted, that Florida State roster sucked. And I, I'm not going to argue that. Um, so it'll, I'm, I'm very hopeful for what I'm going to see here uh, with, with a, I would argue, a, a top-tier offense uh, and, and great pieces around him, uh, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so I agree with you guys. I think that Oregon is going to be topped off in the north. Um, I don't think anyone's going to challenge them. Do you guys think that uh, – so I think that we are all in agreement that Oregon wins the north um, so when talking about the South, we had talked about USC, not really, I think we all agreed that USC is most likely not going to get it done against Utah this year, but do you see anyone else, um, besting Utah in the South to, uh, take it to the Pac-12 championship? Uh, George, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on the South? If there is any other team in the South that could, you know, even challenge Utah uh, or USC for that matter, it, it would have to be Arizona State, um. I mean, again, they didn't have the great, greatest year last year. Um, I mean, seven and six isn't terrible. But um, like I said, as far as if there is anybody left to challenge, it would have to be Arizona State. In my mind. Nick, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about Arizona State a little later. I, I don't think that they're going to be good enough to challenge. But uh, to overall answer the question, no. If it's not UNC, I, I don't think it's. UNC is in the ACC. Oh, right? sorry, USC. Utah. Not UNC. Oh, USC. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what he meant, but I was sitting there going, I was like, wait a minute. I knew something sounded weird, too, dude and like, I was like, it in dude my head. Like, North what did Carolina I too much. <laughs> it is what it uh, is. Uh, I got the $5 bet on the natty. You keep <laughs> fucking putting teams in the wrong conferences. I know, dude. Say can't say names right. God damn. Yep. I just, for anybody listening, I just want to point out that heard last week. I re-looked at my notes after the show, and it clearly said Jets, but... My dumbass camera. Jags. Said Jags, so it is. Yeah, they're close. They both your G looks Jags. like a T. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that it's. I think we'll be surprised to see anyone but Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 this year, um, competing for the championship. Um, kind of moving into our most improved, what our outlook is on this upcoming season. I think that kind of based off of like what George and I and, and Nick had said. Um. I think that USC is going to be my most improved team. I think that they went like four and eight last year or something like that. Yep. Uh, four and eight. and uh, so I think that 
if they do what I think they're going to do and have three losses, or if they do what George thinks and one loss, I think either way, that's a massive improvement from the four and eight of last season. So I, I find it hard for any team to kind of get a better turnaround than than that for this season. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on most improved? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I I honestly think that USC is like the only viable choice here. Um, now, granted, it is UNC or UNC. I said it again. USC. <laughs> Fuck me. USC. Um, so uh, I will. Uh, I won't put it on the air though. Everybody will show okay. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is USC. So if there's any team, especially in the Pac-12, that can take high expectations and completely shit the bed with them, um, it's going to be USC. However, I. I think they just have too much to do that like you said they went four and eight last year um and i honestly being uh conservative i i have them sitting in the eight to ten win range which obviously you're adding four to six wins to your uh win total from last year i i don't think anybody in the pac-12 maybe even anybody in college is going to compete with adding you know six wins so yeah george what are, what are your thoughts uh i mean I also have USC written down, but we, we've talked about them enough. I also added a Washington uh, to my most improved, as much as I hate to say it. Um, but th- they're bringing in a new head coach, which I am actually kind of excited to see. He comes over from Fresno State. I think he's going to do great things there. He's also he's already done a lot on the recruiting side and, and with the transfer portal. Uh, now, is this a team, like I said, that I think will compete fully 100%? No, I don't think they're ready yet. Um but I think they're definitely going to be much improved and much more bearable to watch than the 4-8 and eight team they were last year. Uh, I definitely think they can make bowl eligibility. Um, so as far as most improved overall outside of bringing in a new head coach and this transfer portal, um, you know, for a team that you know has to basically start from scratch and rebuild themselves, that's why I have them as my most improved alongside USC. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, kind of going off of that, could switch over to our most declining teams for this season and who we think is going to have a really rough uh, 2022 season. Um, George, we can just go right back to you. What are your thoughts on the most decline this year? I put UCLA uh, just because I, I think the entire situation over there is is a shit show. I'm not going to go into too much depth. You, you can you can cover it. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a complete shit show over there. Uh, I think as a as a whole, that team is probably looking forward to leaving the conference. Um, and now that Big Brother's back in town, and UC, USC is expected to beat the shit out of them now, uh, I think it's it's going to wear a lot on their psyche, and I don't think they're going to perform as well. Yeah, Nick, what are your thoughts on most declining team this year? Yeah, so uh, this is where Arizona State comes in for me. I chose them as my most declined team. Um, Top of a on top of a huge loss of talent to the transfer portal, um, and a fairly good amount of staffing changes. They're also currently under NCAA investigation. Um, you got new coordinators all around, new players all around, and a constant negative energy uh, in the university as a distraction does not add up very well to trying to repeat their eight and five performance of last year. Now, granted, if they can keep those distractions off of field i think they have a whole lot better chance but um, as someone who is continuously watching an organization every week that deals with fucking negative press again i'm a washington fan um, i'm used to seeing it it is hard to keep that stuff off the field as much as you know outsiders might think oh well you know that that has nothing to do with the playbook or like it 
when your organization or university or whatever is um, toxic, it, it carries over everywhere, whether it's the practice field, the football field, the press conferences, whatever it is. And throughout the entirety of a season, that starts to um, definitely eat at you uh, as a team. So that's a huge reason why I have Arizona State as a team. Yeah, so I, I had also, like George, put UCLA as my most defined team. Um, for kind of similar reasons to both of you, um, George stated that, I mean, UC, USC is going to be expected to pound, pound the shit out of them uh, from now until awesome. Lincoln Riley. Now you can keep talking. You said uh, the shit uh, out of him. I was like, oh, oh, oh balls. <laughs> I thought you were pausing the podcast. Pac-12 is going to get a new streaming deal over on Pornhub. Yeah, anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, I mean, they're, they're going to be expected to lose. And then also, with just all of the money problems that I had talked about at the beginning of the Pac-12 part here, I just think that there's a lot of distractions off the field. Uh, I think that they're just going to be looking to kind of start playing uh, as much as they probably hate to say this, in some snowy weather on some bigger TV deals. Like, I mean, I think that they're just going to be excited to just kind of move away from where they're at right now, kind of new start. Um, at that point, I would assume they would get a lot of the same um, money contributions and stuff that the media deals are offering to the Big Ten schools now. So it should help bolster for from a recruiting standpoint and all these other things um, for them to have a really good start once they get to the Big Ten. I think that, I mean, I would be surprised to, see, I would not be surprised to see them sitting at at like five and. Uh, five wins on the season this year. So, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I was just reading your thing, George. Um, so, so yeah. So, um, do you guys want to move into the top five of the week? Yeah, why not? Okay. So, George picked the top five of the week this week, and it's most overrated stadiums. Um. George, do you want to go first or last since it's your topic? I'll, I'll go first because uh, I got a controversial one at the top. Uh, now, now, when I said top five overrated scenes, I meant in like terms of like atmosphere. Like people are like, oh, uh, this is always like, let me guess, okay. you, you pick like architecturally ugly stadiums. No, no, no not no, necessarily, no. but I, I did take it very literally. And like good, my number good. one, okay. for example, might not be counted as like okay. as a elite stadium, but I okay. think it's shit. But I I went in the sense of like people are like oh you know like this this atmosphere is just like out of this world, um, live or die by it. Right. For example, number five, I put Happy Valley. Um, <laughs> now listen, no listen, I. But you haven't you, experienced a whiteout yet. I no, and I'm not just saying like outside of the whiteout and right, right, right. The, the other night game, which is usually the striped out. I feel like it's a shit environment. Like I mean, I'm not saying it's bottom tier. Obviously, it's not as bad as Northwestern. But I, I definitely don't feel like week in, week out, it is like what a lot of people claim to be is is the number one environment in college football. I, I 100% agree. I haven't experienced a whiteout in person. I've seen it on TV. And I would argue, yeah, that is probably one of the craziest environments in college football. But you can't hang your hat on one game a year as as a, as a school and say, sure as fuck can. You should have seen the disappointment when Ohio State was the noon game. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, unless it's a big game, I feel like it's it's a half empty stadium, three quarters empty. I would say now, when they sucked, it was it was a half empty stadium. But 
with, with uh, when you want to sit there and argue that oh Penn State has a this is what I think the second biggest stadium in all of college football. Yep, behind if, Michigan. Yeah, and outside of those two games, like I mentioned, it, it's like half empty to me. I I can't put that as one of my like top college football environment. Um, number four, I put USC. Uh, again, everybody talks about going into the Coliseum, and it, it's it's you know such a surreal experience, and it, it's always packed. Even when USC was top shit, I didn't think it was anything outrageous. Their band is obnoxious, and they play that stupid every five fucking seconds, and I thought that was annoying. Outside of that, I didn't think that the, the fans were anything insane or crazy, and especially now since they suck. Well, not, of course, now they're probably going to be better, but still, when I list, a, when I think of a classic college football environment, even when that team sucks, it's, it's still going to be packed. Like, I, I mean, to be fair, a lot of the SEC schools, like LSU, if LSU sucks, they're, they're still packing out just about every damn near game. Um, and, and so that's why I have USC at four. Number three, I went with an NFL team. Uh, I put Seattle here. Um, everybody talks about, you know, especially back in the Legion of Boom days, oh, it's, it's the loudest environment and it's so tough. I think people just didn't like playing in the cold. I don't think it was necessarily crowd. That's all I'm going to say about that. Number two, I put Texas because fuck Texas. Um, every year people talk about, oh, you know, we have, we have a road game at Texas and it's it's going to be a, a weird environment. Uh, they put a vagina in their stadium now and they lost to Kansas there. I don't think you can argue that's that's a tough environment anymore. Uh, and number one, maybe the most valid argument we might ever hear on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And in case anybody thinks I'm joking, no, they literally have what looks like a uterus in in their their stands now. Uh, and number one, I have Florida in the swamp. Um, I I think it's an overrated environment. It hasn't been good since Tim Tebow was there, and even then, I would argue it wasn't even that great. Um, I, I, to be fair, I, I got this point from Unnecessary Roughness, a podcast I absolutely hate, but I they, they do have a good clip every once in a blue moon. Uh, but they talk about at. Everybody says it's a great environment because you feel like you're right on top of the field. Like that, that means nothing. Um, and even when they play really good teams, like when Alabama went there last year, I, I thought that the stadium was really fucking quiet. That's all I'll say. So Florida's my number one. Nick, what's, what's your top five? Yeah, so um, I went – I didn't understand. George is pretty uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Broad? I don't know. Fuck. Yeah, broad uh, with his top five sometimes. So. I went through all sports and uh, pretty much, every, you know, every stadium that I can think of. Yeah, so fuck those cricket stadiums. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be 100% fair, I mean, somebody would come up here and say, oh, Barcelona Stadium. And I, I agree. These are just, like I said, these are my top five. And... Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I, I just, I wasn't sure. So, you can put uh, a soccer stadium on there. I don't care. No, I, I did not put a soccer stadium. I don't watch enough soccer to make any comments about soccer stadiums. All right. Um, all right, so which is funny because my first one is a baseball one, and I just started watching it. But nonetheless, number five, I went with Fenway Park. Um, <laughs> hold, hear me out, hear me out. So I would have put it higher on the list, but I do have respect for it, its history and its story and all that. Um, two main reasons: one, it's hella old school. It's twenty twenty two. You'll see that a lot in, in these picks that I made, the, the old school stadiums. Um, it just doesn't fit the times. And then, uh, as you could probably like imagine. Babe Ruth still plays there. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
whatever. But uh, and of course you have the green monster. Um, I don't really need to go into detail about that. Number four, <laughs> this I'm not gonna lie to you. If this list doesn't get some argument, I'll be surprised. So number four, I went with Lambeau Field. Um, oh my god! I, yeah, I know. I know. Holy shit! I'm coming after it. Uh, so again, another old school stadium that needs renovated. The only problem is, is the old design of that stadium makes it difficult as fuck to renovate. Um, add into that that temperatures inside the stadium can reach below zero, and like I like the cold, I definitely don't like below zero. Um, that, that's all I need to say about it. <laughs> I would three. argue, I would argue, their renovations have made that stadium ten times better. And then you think of environments playing in fucking freezing temperatures is is a key. Although yeah, when they get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter if they play in fucking California or at home; they still suck. But yeah, I'm thinking of like I, 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 when I thought about these, I tried to think of like everything. So like how the fans would feel about it, um, how other teams would feel about it, all that shit. So. I think we've learned the fans do not give a shit there. <laughs> I, that's fair. Like I mean, granted, in Wisconsin, head on they have, like, yeah, call it warm. They have yeah. nothing better to care about. Yeah, they they drink enough beer and the the cold doesn't affect them. Yeah, so (laughs) number three, I got the Superdome. Um, Yeah, I get it. Hurricane Katrina, whatever. Um, It's an aging stadium. (laughs) Hurricane Tortilla! (laughs) It's an aging stadium. Uh, Massive domes were hot for like five minutes. Uh, They're no longer hot, unfortunately, to New Orleans. in my opinion, it's really a boring stadium that's only loved by New Orleans. So I hear a lot of hype about it, but I really don't get all that hype. Number two, I went with Mile High Stadium. The only cool thing about the stadium is the location of it. Other than that, everything sucks. The design blocks out the view of the landscape around it. Um, like Lambeau Field, but not quite as bad. It gets cold as hell, and the amenities there are not up to par with the rest of the league. So. Obviously, fans aren't going to be happy about that. And number one, I, I wanted to move this somewhere else, but I hate this fucking stadium so much that I had to put it one. Um, I went with MetLife Stadium. For a stadium that hosts not one, but two pro sports teams, was super fucking expensive and is in arguably the biggest sports market in the world. The stadium is just dull. It's boring. Not to mention the fact that it's not even in New York and the two teams that play in it are named after New New York. It, none of it makes fucking sense. Like at MetLife Stadium should just be demolished, in my opinion. I thought with the way you started that list with Fenway Park and Lambeau Field being on there, the rest of the list is going to be a way more. Uh, See, I wanted I wanted to put them higher because I felt like with putting that up there that they should be higher. But like I do have respect for those two stadiums, so I didn't want to completely fuck this shit up. So I went with overrated atmospheres. Nick went with overrated architecture. Slate, what do you have? So I just want to start it out with, George, with your Happy Valley comment, a half-filled stadium is a full-filled stadium in Oregon. So I just want to start out with that. Oregon Stadium oh, is 54,000. So on a weekend that Penn State's playing Michigan High School of Architect, <laughs> um, they still will have more kids in the stadium. Than it doesn't matter Oregon how many, have doesn't for matter a, how many for a night have show up when Oregon they State. sound like fucking crickets. Oregon has 60,000 show up and you can't hear shit. Before the white... I lived right next door to it and I couldn't hear shit every time there was a game. So I I don't know. Maybe the the game... Before the whiteout, you want to know what Penn State fan base was called? It was called the quietest 100,000 in all of sports. 
and all of a sudden you get this one big game, and it's like, oh, we're, we're such a cool fucking fan base. You're fucking not. You steal the Seven Nation Army chant. You st- you steal Sweet Caroline. You run around act like you fucking invented the shit. It's they bullshit. Anyway, Listen, I would bring Mo Bamba up in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what really gets the people going. Check I mean, obviously, obviously, it wasn't around, you know. Yeah, yeah. Forever. So my number five in agreement with Nick, I did the Saints Superdome. Um, I think the only good part about it is if there is a second Hurricane Katrina, it'll be the only place that people can go and be safe if they sit up in the nosebleeds. Um, that's not where you want to sit. You want to sit at the bottom. That roof will rip off and you'll die. Well, I'll sit at the top then. No, they don't want to drown at the bottom is what I was getting at. It's water. Um, So like mid-level we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the fourth one, I went with MetLife uh, because fuck Jersey. And why would you have two teams named New York and play New Jersey? doesn't make sense to me. Um, Number three and number two, I went with teams just because of being rivals of Penn State. I went with the horseshoe because fuck Ohio State. God. And uh, hey, if you number can say two, fuck Texas. He's allowed to say because fuck Ohio State. Though. Right. No, and I'm just saying about the fact that like the only four people that listen to this are from Ohio. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, nah, my parents listen to it. <laughs> and the second one uh, is the big house in Michigan because fuck Michigan. Um, but from sorry, a, Evan. From a atmosphere amp- standpoint, I would I would honestly also argue Michigan because again. Much of the same way I feel about Penn State, unless it's a big game, I really feel like Michigan fans just don't show up. And to go back to Penn State, I would argue that half the time they don't show up because they're out fucking getting shit faced. Like I said, unless it's the night game, when it's a night game, Penn State is, like I said, but it's also with Ohio State because Ohio State they had that game what two years ago where or three years ago it was before COVID, uh, their team was up like twenty four nothing in the first quarter and everyone left and they ended up losing the game. <laughs> I would too. I would too. <laughs> yeah, but um, so I can get drunk a whole lot cheaper in the parking lot than exactly. I can. Exactly. <laughs> my number one is uh, Yankee Stadium. Sorry, George. Uh, I thought about it putting just, it on, but it just I doesn't this make sense to me that, that someone with an open checkbook can just continue to sign these big name people because they know that they get to play at least half the year at home. So if they can get at least enough guys on juice to hit the ball over the stadium, they can win at least half the games. Um, you keep arguing this. Fucking go follow the Twitter page. W- would it dong? And half the time when, when they, they hit – oh my, I, I'm not even getting into this. No, 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 no. I'm saying that they don't hit enough home runs, even with the architecture of it. I would argue I'm that. saying that – what's that? I said I would argue that now because they fucking suck right now. Yeah, but hey, Aaron Judge can still hit home runs. For all of the <laughs> massive people that they have on their team, you would think that they would get like that they that they would have no problem making it deep, deep into the playoffs. But for some reason, they keep losing two, sometimes three. Because Aaron Boone's a fucking don't, trash can. Don't get him started, Mister Fucking Ooh, twenty-seven or whatever the fuck it is. No, I don't. I am not that Yankees fan. I don't bitch about fucking World Series titles that we haven't won since 2009. You took a lot of offense to the to the would it dong. <laughs> but no, like, honestly, like, as far as baseball stadiums, I would say the new Yankee Stadium is definitely overrated in terms of not just architecture, but atmosphere. Outside of the, the lights they flicker when we hit a home run, like, that's it. Like, the, the old Yankee Stadium just had so much history and, and you know, character to it. That it was it was arguably one of the best stadiums in baseball. 
the new one, I, I definitely am not a big fan of. So from that standpoint, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's probably an the judge's game. chamber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, from those standpoints, I would absolutely agree. It's, it's probably an overrated stadium in, in, in terms of all, but um, just to put it at number one, just because you don't like to talk the Yankees anymore, that's your own goddamn problem. Um, but uh, that will do it for our show. Uh, exciting news this weekend. We'll be filming our first ever vlog with the three of us. Uh, we are super excited. Uh, Slade is going to get his ass beat, and he will lose the Jack Wagon Cup for the first time. Uh, so we are excited to uh, to bring that. Um, Nick, who do you think is going to win, and what do you think the winning score will be? So he doesn't I be- say himself. Like what? The- <laughs> okay, well, for, okay, all right. Here, no, no, no. What do you think the winning score will be? We'll just do that. So I'm going to stick with my guns again here because I don't like changing my mind. Uh, I believe I said in the group chat 109. Because we're being fairly strict about the rules here, so I, I'm going with 109. Say, so what about you? Um, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll agree with that score. I think that the big number to guess will be how many hot dogs are eaten in the round. But I, I 100, I'm, I'm good for two at this current. Yeah, Dude, that's the one thing I gotta say. Caledonia might not be the best course around here, but their fucking glizzies are immaculate. They got some big old thick boys. Yeah, I bet they do. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, dude. I'd, I'll swallow three of them. Easy. Took Nick back to his high school days underneath the, the stadium bleachers. Uh, I, I am actually going to go lower. I'm going to go 104. Um, I I have legit broken 100. I'm not – obviously, again, I'm not saying I'm going to this week. But um, I, I think the three of us will push each other to play the, the best we can. Um I definitely think we're going to affect each other mentally, so I don't want to say below 100 because I don't, I don't really feel like that's reasonable. I yet. feel like we've all kind of hit a stride recently, and yeah. I think the three of us uh, being together, like you said, is, is really going to push us. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go with 104. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, it's at Piney Apple Golf Course this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun, and we are excited to do it. Uh, and then we will let you know who won next week. Uh, we will let you know when the video's out, uh, so you guys can go check that out. Uh, and find out who you'll know guys it'll be right here behind me yeah okay it's not even behind you now what do you mean yeah it's it's in his garage on top of the beer fridge yeah Yeah. i'm gonna build you a shelf and i'm gonna make you an l so you can put that behind you (laughs) so everybody knows you're a fucking loser i don't think there's room for that yeah but uh (laughs) anyway thank you all so much for checking out this episode we had a lot of fun bringing it to you again if you are checking us out on youtube we hope you enjoyed the new presentation uh, I will try and get better at the backgrounds this week. I 100% forgot about them. Uh, and then halfway through the Pac-12 preview, I looked down and went, oh, shit, I, I'm supposed to do the backgrounds. Um, but we we wanted to give this broadcast a little bit of legitimacy. Um, and so hopefully this helps with that. I'm excited to keep growing and bring you guys new, fun, exciting content. Uh, with that said, uh, we will see you guys on the next episode and have a great week. See you, everybody.